I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. We'll read verses 3 through 11. From 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Second Corinthians is the most personal letter Paul wrote and uh, probably um, has some of the most um, deep and personal feelings of all his epistles. And so I want to uh, begin reading at verse 3 and through verse 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers in our suffering, you also, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. You, you ever thought of that? Is it everybody gets all excited when somebody says he has feelings of um, that suicide would be a, a wonderful way out. Uh, you ever thought about the fact that the Apostle Paul reached a point in his life where he thought he'd rather die. He despaired of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a pearl of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and He deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. I want to speak about something today that we all need and that God has promised to provide. And that's comfort. Comfort. And when I say that, I just kind of sense this whole humness, you know, that it kind of uh, emits from this audience. But this word comfort is not the weak word we have um, come to understand in our English language. Somebody said that the New Testament comfort is not a rubber nipple like you stick in the mouth of a baby when it gets, you know, restless. It's a rich word. 
It appears nine times, if you want to count it, in this short space that I've read. It, it appears in the fifth chapter of Matthew, in the greatest sermon ever delivered. And Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And just before He left this earth and went back to heaven, He's giving some final words to His disciples. And He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another comforter to imply that one of the great aspects of the ministry and life of Jesus was to comfort. Because the word is a rich word, it has several meanings and applications. It means one who stands alongside another to defend his cause. It means to be strengthened from within. It means to be encouraged spiritually. It means literally to be befriended. And someone suggests the best use of the word is the word to fortify. And what Paul is saying is this, that God fortifies us for life. He gives us from within this impenetrable fortress that makes us big enough for, for life and all of its problems. Now there's not a day passes but what the believer needs somebody to come and fortify him, make him big enough to give him some kind of inner strength um, to lead him out of some depression to a new level of comfort and encouragement. Minereth says, it tells about a man who, who spoke last year or the year he was writing to a hundred thousand people. He always began his, his speech with this. Is there anybody here who has never had a depressed moment? If you've never been in some sort of depression, I'd like for you to lift your hand. And he said he spoke to a hundred thousand people in one year and not a single person lifted his hand. There's not a day goes by, but what we need, somebody to give us some kind of inner strength and, and encouragement. For life has its pressure points. It might be the pressure of your business or job, or perhaps something that some colleagues said or didn't say and you were hurt. Perhaps a sense of failure. Dr. Robert Elliott, an eminent cardiologist, was speaking to a group of his colleagues one day, uh, giving a paper on cardiology. And right in the midst of this paper he was delivering, he had cardiac arrest. He had a heart attack. And he wrote a book as a result of that experience, Is It Worth Dying For?, and he told about in 1965, he and some colleagues, scientists and physicians, were involved in the space exploration at Camp at Cape Kennedy when they were doing all those layoffs and everybody else was being laid off. And he said, I literally saw scores of great scientists and young scholars, young brilliant men die every week under the stress of wondering, am I going to be rejected this week? It may be a stress point of failing health, or it may be that for the first time you're having to face life alone and you're experiencing the brutality of loneliness. And what this word is saying is that you never stand alone. You may feel that way. 
You may feel that you have been forsaken and abandoned by everybody who understands. But what this Word says is that while you're on your way down this road of life, you're going to meet somebody who's going to turn and walk with you for the rest of the way. It's called the Comforter. Now, there need to be three things said about this Word or about this principle, this thought, this subject. The first is, is that the origin of comfort is God. The origin of comfort is God. He's called the Father of mercies. That's a euphemism in the Hebrew language, in the, in the Jewish language that suggests the origination of. He is the origination of all comfort. It comes from Him. He is the God of all comfort. You know what that word all means in the, in the Greek language? It means all. And what the Apostle Paul is establishing is the total adequacy of the comfort of God. And he's eliminating all of the sources of comfort. And he's saying if God is a source, if God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, you will not find comfort anywhere else. It's amazing where we look for comfort. Some people seek it in revenge. We have an idea that if I can just get even, I'm going to feel better. And I'm never going to feel right. I get even. Some people seek comfort and resentment. I can't turn loose of this. For I have found some kind of a warped comfort in this grudge that I bear. Some people seek it in self-pity and they wallow around in that. And that's all they can talk about. Because somehow they find some comfort in that. Frank Minnerth has, has written a book called Love Hunger. The whole thesis of that book is, is that some people have this craving, not, not a physical appetite, but a craving for affection and love and acceptance that causes them to overeat. I've been trying to figure it out all along. <laughs> I found the answer. He says that these eating binges that some people go on find some comfort in food. And this overeating, these, old, these eating binges medicates this pain that's down deep in the emotion. And then there's the book entitled The Art of Comfort. And if you read the title, you'd think that it's just a, a, a suggestion of how to do effective counseling or ways to provide some more sympathetic action. It's really hundreds of ways to live more comfortable in a comfortable house. For we have a comfort cult. And we see comfort because we know pain. And I'm here to declare by the authority of this text that all these things that come to us disguised as comfort just make life more bitter and bring more despair and more frustration for He is the only source to be comforted. The origin of that comfort is God. Now that's an easy point. It gets tougher. The occasion of that comfort is suffering. Now what Paul is saying is this, watch this. The only way I can experience this inner fortification, this comfort of God, is to suffer. Now read verse 4 with me again. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. What he's saying is, is that 
There is this realm over here in which a man can enter into a fortification for life that only can come from God, but the occasion of finding that experience is to suffer. Is to suffer. And what he's saying is, is that it is through affliction that one has this experience. That's an interesting word. It means literally weight, and it's a suggestion of a, of a burden that crushes one down. And that's scary enough, but when you chase that word affliction all the way out to its root, it means to flay, literally, skin. It refers to an ancient form of torture in which one had his skin flayed from him. He was literally skinned alive. I heard about a lady who went out to visit one of these silver, silver fox farms. She liked to wear silver fox coats, and she went on a little group out to this silver fox farm. Now, remember, she's a lady from the city, and she goes up to the keeper of this silver fox farm and asks innocently, how many times a year do you skin these fox? And he kind of rolls his eyes by, oh, great. But he gives her a tender answer. He says, well, we used to skin them twice a year, but it made them nervous. <laughs> and so we just skin them once a year now. Let me tell you something. These experiences in life are making me nervous. If it was, do you feel like sometimes that life is being ripped from you a layer at a time? Wouldn't be so bad if that happened only once, but it's getting to be a common experience for some of us. And we feel flayed. Now, everybody should say something profound if you can. I'm going to make an effort to say something profound. I want you to get this. A portion of that abundant life that we all seek and desire, a portion of that abundant life is abundant suffering. And so Andre Crouch put it, Crouch put it like this. I thank Him for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys. And I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I would never know He could solve it. I would never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend on His Word. It's a beautiful song. There's a word in that song that scares me, frankly. It's the word learned. For I have come to find that trusting in God does not come automatically. It comes as a learning experience. And I don't know what I'm going to have to go through in life, nor do you, before I can learn to trust Him. But I know that God orchestrates affliction, so we will. And the Apostle Paul said, I know what it means to abound, and I know what it means to be abased. I know what poverty means, and I know what luxury means. And I'm getting into that because I've known some of the poverty and, and, and so have some of the abased. Don't know much about riches. 
I'm getting into that until I hear him say, for I've learned in whatever state I'm in therewith to be content. And then that word looms out to me. What, is the, what do we have to go through to learn that? But I know this, friend, listen to me carefully. I've discovered from experience that no one ever trusts God until he stops trusting himself. No one believes God until he stops believing in himself. Now, I know what the thought is now. And I know when you go into a, into a, a bookstore, you, you see all these books on, on, on coming to tr- believe in yourself. And there's an element of truth in that. And I watched part of the Democratic Convention, and I heard again and again this theme. I grew up in poverty. I lived way back in the sticks in the log cabin. My folks were poor. But my mama taught me on her knee that I could be anything I believed if I believed in myself enough. And there's an element of truth in that. I'm not disparaging that. I want to go one step farther than that. You can do anything you can trust God to do. For Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't really know what I'm going to have to go through before I learn to trust Him like that. And that verse we quote and thrill in, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You, re- you read that in the Hebrew language and it means face upon the ground. And what he's saying is this, that when you get face upon the ground, then you trust in the Lord with all your heart. The prerequisite of comfort is mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The prerequisite of being filled is to be hungry. Blessed are they that hunger, for they shall be filled. What makes peace so special? The fact that we live on the brink of war. And what makes youth such a wonderful thing? Old age, I'll tell you. I mean, I used to, I didn't appreciate youth until I got old. And the author of the book of Ecclesiastes says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Then he goes on this long discourse of what you like when you get old. What makes life precious? The inevitability of death. That's what makes life precious. You talk to anybody who has encountered the inevitability of his death and he'll tell you every time, I've just gotten word. I've just gotten word I'm going to die and I never have really appreciated life like I do now. The occasion of this fortification, the occasion of this comfort is suffering. The origin is the Father. The occasion is the suffering. The object is ministry. Now watch this and we'll get to the end. Helping others is the goal of comfort. And so he says in verse 4, so that we are comforted in our affliction, so that, it's a 
It's in, in the Greek language, it's called a purpose clause. In some translations, it's in order that. The purpose of this affliction and its comfort is in order that. The purpose is that we may be able to comfort somebody else. Basic principle in the Christian life, and this principle is this, that everything we receive from God, we receive in order we might pass it on. It's a story, it's a principle that the Jews never really got. They didn't get it. That God chose them as a nation and blessed them, not because He just wanted to favor them or to bless them, but that they might be the channels of the blessing of God to the world. For everything you've received from God is in order that you might pass it on to someone else, the realm of of electricity pictures this truth. In the realm of electricity, there are terminal wires where the impulse, the electrical impulse, comes to an end, to a stop. And in the realm of electricity, there are transmitters where the impulse of electricity is sent on down the line. And the inevitable question is, are we terminals or transmitters? We are comforted in order that we might be able to comfort others. We are given the joy of the Christian life in order that we might share that joy. We are saved in order that we might become instruments of that salvation. For the comfort of our affliction is not a hospital, it's a seminary. The comfort of our affliction is not that God looked down upon us and saw that we were suffering and wanted to comfort us. So He did. He looked down and wanted us to take that comfort on to somebody else. So He did. And that comfort overflows the banks of our lives. And Lloyd Ogilvie once observed that only that which happens to you could happen through you. We are never any better, nor are we ever any more like what we are meant to be than when we make available to the woundedness of others that which we've learned through an honest grappling with our woundedness. I want to say it again. I liked it. We're never any better. We're never any more like what God intended us to be than when we're making available to the woundedness of others what we've discovered, what we've found out in the honest grappling with our own woundedness. And so Halford Luckett says that the supreme curriculum for encouragement is not eloquence, but that glowing statement, I've been there. And what he was saying is this, is that the comforters in the world are not the people who can stand on a platform and eloquently talk about comfort. They're the people who have been flayed and they take your hand and they say, come with me, I've been there. And so Father Domain spent years on the island of Molokai working with lepers until one day he discovered he himself was one. And when he stood up to address the chapel, he for the first time said, My fellow lepers? And they stood up and cheered. And every time after that, he used the term, We lepers. They broke out in thunderous applause. And so a little old lady turned away from the grave 
of her husband for 50 years to go back into the darkness of her loneliness. And she took her pastor by the arm and said, Pastor, will you pray for me that I'll be a good steward of my sorrow? Ha! Oh, I don't know what that does to you, but that hits me deep. That I'll be a good steward of my sorrow. And preacher Halleck pastored a university church until he was in his 80s. Gives me hope. Still communicating college students when he was past 80. He answered when he was 90. After he got to be about 80, he retired finally, but he didn't quit. He just quit preaching on Sunday in church. And he took what he called the School of the Prophets, a group of young people in Norman, Oklahoma, to teach them the principles of walking with God and all that stuff. And one day he came in, he said, Boys, I found out I had cancer. And he said, I was, I was angry. I resented that. And he said, God came to me, listen to me, said, Halleck, life is a stewardship. And to the extent I can trust a man, will I give him things to oversee? He said, boys, I've just not grown up enough to be trusted with pain. Are you grown up enough to be trusted with pain and comfort to the degree that He can trust you as a steward of this suffering and this comfort that comes with it? He'll give it to you. Now you say, well, preacher, that's weird. You mean we're supposed to pray we'll suffer? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say we're supposed to request that somebody come and flay us alive. We get enough of that. But I don't think we ought to resent it. I'm one of those men, who is, one of those Jews who escaped from Germany, said Abraham Pollock. And I thank God for every stroke that drove me from the darkness to the light. For it would be better to arrive at the glorious goal, beaten and bleeding, than it were for us to decay contentedly and happily in the darkness. For in the fierce suffering of immigration, we found Jesus, the riches of all the worlds. I don't think it ought to make us resentful if somehow in the midst of our immigration, our refugee from life, that we'd find comfort. That ought not to, uh, to find suffering and comfort in it. That ought not to make us resentful. For we ought to know that then and only then are we equipped for ministry. I love it. And that's what James is talking about in his first chapter when he says, Count it all joy when trials come, for when you're tried, you become an instrument. When you're tested, you become equipped. So that when the pressure comes and the flailing comes, I can understand two things. I can understand first that I'm getting ready to be blessed of God like I've never been blessed. When the flaying comes, I'm getting ready because I know that God is going to bring into my life an experience I've never experienced. And I can get ready for somebody to pass right through my life who needs what I have now. 
and I can call myself a minister, equipped and prepared. So my invitation this morning is for you to give up resentment and give up self-pity and give up revenge and give up the search for the God of comfort. He's already found you. And He's the Father of all mercies. The origin of that peace is in Him. The occasion of that peace is in suffering. For the object of that peace is what you and I want to do. Pass along to somebody else some hope. Let's pray together. And the poet said, I sought him in the still far place where flowers blow and sunbathed soil. And I found him where the thousand life streams flow through sin and toil. I listened for his step within the still, deep, cloistered shrine of secret thought. I heard it over the world's heart tumult, still divine, the voice I sought. I thought, for off alone to feel his presence by my side, his joy to gain. I felt his touch upon life's weary pulse beside a bed of pain. So those who seek the master following their own way or gain or loss will find him where their dreams of self are laid away. And there, a cross. Our Father, I pray that we really will mean it when we say, I want to be a minister. And I want to minister to the pain, the hurt of life. Help me to be a good steward of my life. For I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. There are three invitations. Look here. I want to invite you this morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, to come and do that today. To that person who by faith turns to Christ and trusts Him, turns from His um, own plans, His own will, there's salvation available for you, eternal salvation. I want to ask you to come this morning if you need to place your life in the church to come. Or you may need to come this morning publicly in public recommitment of your life to the Lord. I think it should be public if you know that you have hurt somebody else by the way you've lived. And so I invite you to come on the first word while we stand to sing.